50 B.C., 50 years before Jesus uh, was uh, born in Bethlehem, took on human uh, appearance, uh, there was a Roman Caesar named Julius Caesar, um, and he was determined to conquer the world for Rome. Uh, the one stubborn place that refused to be conquered was uh, this place called England. Uh, at the time, they called it Great Britain or Britain. This was the land of the Celts and the Danes and the Vikings. Um, now, maybe today, proper English people, uh, you don't think of it, but those folks were just downright crazy. And lots of folks had tried to conquer them over the years and uh, had not succeeded. Uh, anyway, uh, Julius Caesar was determined to invade uh, England. His advisors tried to talk him out of it, but he said, no, we're going to do it. I know they look like demon-possessed, uh, painted, naked, screaming people, but we're going to take this land anyway. Uh, so when Caesar landed on the shores of Great Britain, uh, he landed with his Roman legions, he, uh, he told his army, uh, we are going to succeed, and he did something pretty bold. He uh, ordered his army to march to the top of the cliffs of Dover. The commanders ordered that the men all look down to the water below, and when they looked down at the water below, all the ships that they had arrived on were set on fire. Literally, he had set all of his ships ablaze, and uh, now it was totally gone. Their transportation was gone. He ordered all the ships be burned. He wanted to cut off any possibility of retreat. <laughs> there's no escaping. There's no turning back. You either will go forward and we will truly conquer England or you're going to die. Uh, there is no other option. The only hope for life advance and conquer and interestingly that's exactly what his army did i'm telling you this julius caesar guy he meant business total commitment either you'll die and be slaughtered by the enemy or you'll conquer the unconquerable land of england he burned his boats and put it all on the line for what he believed rome should rule britain um, Jesus, when he left the glory of heaven and he took on human form and he knew what lie ahead, which would be pretty challenging 33 years and at the end take on all the sins of mankind, uh, endure the uh, Roman cross, I, I would argue that Jesus burned his boat. He laid it all on the line. He, he literally, uh, no turning back, I'm literally going to go all in here. And uh, that's exactly what we see in the passage that we're going to look at today. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9, would you? Uh, 951 tells us that Jesus set out strongly, resolutely for Jerusalem. He knew what was ahead, the betrayal, the trial, the lies, the scourging, the spikes of the cross, but he... He charged ahead, no turning back. Luke chapter 9, Jesus here 
uh, where we're going to look at, starting in verse 57, calls all who follow him to burn their boats. No turning back, follow me. And uh, that's the challenge today. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, are, are you ready to burn the boat? Are you ready to turn and follow? No turning back. Because here's the truth. If you're going to follow Jesus, there's a high cost involved. And that's the point that Jesus makes in the passage we're going to study. Would you stand with me if you're able? Let's read out loud together the high cost of following Jesus. We'll start with verse 57. We'll read uh, down through verse 62. Here we go. As they were walking along the road... A man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to acknowledge those are uh, tough words. <laughs> uh, that, that's... Uh, those are challenging things you said to people who wanted to follow you. And yet, Lord, I, I believe that that's exactly what you meant, and the challenge is still the same for us today, December of 2015. So uh, help us to tune in right now, Lord, and hear from you as we study your book together. Help us to understand exactly what you're asking of us what it means to follow you. Lord, may your spirit and your word have freedom to work today in your church. Speak, Lord. Uh, we're listening. We're ready to respond. And all the church at Walloon Lake said with one voice, you may be seated. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you, Jesus. I'm ready to, to be a part. Wherever you go, I'm, I'm willing to follow. Now, the parallel passage is in Matthew 8. Get a little more detail. It says that this man was a scribe. He was a religious leader. He was well-respected. He was likely well-paid. He was a leader of the religious folks in Jesus' day. Now it seems that he was sincere. Give me your eyes. He was sincere when he told Jesus he's willing to go and follow him and go wherever you tell me, Jesus, I'm willing to go. But it also seems that Jesus could see behind his words. Uh, because words alone about following Jesus are not enough. Shall I say that again? Words alone about following Jesus are not enough. Verse 58, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's a warning. It's a warning to the man who professed to follow Jesus. 
It's a warning not just to that man, it's a warning to all of us who profess with our mouths, with our words, that we want to follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus is saying, if, if you choose to follow me, please know this world is not your home. He's warning this man, he's warning us, uh, following Jesus is often uncomfortable and hard. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Uh, warning, uh, following Jesus, often, maybe even usually, uncomfortable and hard. Matter of fact, if you're going to follow Jesus, that means you're going to go in exactly the opposite direction of most of the world. The culture we live in, the, this fallen world system, they're going this way, and that means we're going to follow in the opposite direction. That, that's why it's often so hard and difficult. Following Jesus is living a life where people often misunderstand Jesus' followers. They often don't like Jesus' followers. And now I'm actually going to get a little stronger. Oftentimes they actually hate us. Now why would they not like us? Why would they hate us, Myron? We're nice people, right? You know, we're, we're pretty nice. Why would they not like us? Why would they hate us? John 15, 18 is the answer. Um, if the world hates you, Jesus said, keep in mind that they hated me first. So it's not personal. Uh, they don't like our leader. They don't like the one we're following. They don't like the way he, he has instructed us to live. Uh, verse 20, if they persecuted me, Jesus said, they're going to persecute you also. Why does this world seem to always give us trouble and difficulty? Ready? Because this world isn't our home, because we're just passing through, because we have different master, we're following a different person, we're not following me, myself, and I, we're not following this fallen sinful world, we're following Jesus. And we're not home yet, which means, catch this, obediently following Jesus will cost us. First of all, our comfort. You might write that down if you're taking notes. It's going to cost us our comfort most of the time. Jesus continues on walking, verse 59, and he sees another man. Now, another man is more than just another person. The idea in the Greek is a different kind of man. So this man has a different challenge to him, if you're understanding, okay? This man's challenge to following Jesus is different than the first man. Uh, this man replies to Jesus, uh, Lord, I'd like to follow you. I'd like to follow you, verse 59. Uh, but Lord, first let me go, and what does he say? I want to bury my dad. I want to bury my father. A couple thoughts. I will say, some commentators think this man really had just lost his father, and his father really was dead, and he really did need to go bury his father. I just happen to disagree with them. I'm pretty sure that the culture of the day dictated, track with me, if you die, uh, you are going to be buried in your grave in the tomb within 24 hours. There, there was no week or two. There was no embalming. Uh, you were buried within 24 hours. 
And in that 24 hours, there's a whole lot of things to do. You'd be busy making arrangements. There, there would be professional mourners hired. There, there would be preparations. There would be eating and mourning and wailing. If this man's father had just died, I don't believe he would be walking near Jesus. He'd be at home with his family, with the mourners, making preparations. I believe what this man is really saying to Jesus is, uh, Jesus, I'll follow you someday in the future, maybe after I get my inheritance, maybe after things settle down in my life, uh, when it's more convenient, then I'll follow you. But Dad, you know, he's getting up there in years, and someday I'll be ready to commit to following you. I'm convinced that's what's going on. That's why Jesus responds what feels like harsh. Verse 60, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, this is a spiritual play on words. Okay, uh, What he's saying is, let the spiritually dead, those who don't have an urgent call on their lives to follow Jesus, let the spiritually dead, look at it, verse 60, bury those who are physically dead. Let the spiritually dead, they don't, they don't, they don't need to be in a hurry to follow Jesus because they, they don't know him. There's no urgent call on them. Let them worry about sticking around for the next 10 years and waiting to get the inheritance. Jesus is challenging this man this morning to follow him as the first priority of his life. I know you got other priorities. You, you want half of the family farm, but I'm telling you, if you're going to follow me, your primary loyalty in life, Jesus says, is to me. And that challenge is true for us today. Uh, following Jesus requires an intense urgency. It's not like, uh, maybe in 5 or 10 or 20 years, then I'll get serious and follow you. No, no. No, no, if, you're, if you want to follow Jesus, it's time to get going now. Loyal to, to, loyalty to Jesus is my priority. And it's my priority. Track with me, this is tough. If you really are going to follow Jesus, that priority is even over your family. How do you like that? It's even over your friends. Loyalty to Jesus trumps um, your job. Loyalty to Jesus is more important than even a ball or your hobbies or things you like to do or things you like to watch. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, I have high expectations for those who are going to follow me. If you're a follower of Jesus, very high expectations from Jesus Christ. It's going to cost us a lot. It's going to cost us the first priority of our lives. That's the second note if you're taking notes. It will cost us the first priority to follow Jesus. Uh, here's, here's my question, okay? You ready? Is your primary loyalty in life to Jesus Christ or to something else? What, what would Jesus say to you if he stopped and, and talked to you on the road? Dr. Luke brings another kind of disciple now. Uh, Talked about the scribe, remember? Uh, warned him, you know, following me, you're not going to be comfortable, scribe, like you've been. It's going to be uncomfortable to follow me. 
Now this man who wanted to follow Jesus, maybe sometime after dad dies, no, no, you're going to owe me the first loyalty in your life. Now we get to a third man, verse 61. Still another said to Jesus, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and kiss my family goodbye, and, and, and then I'll follow you. Now, the key word here, look at verse 61 with me, is first. First. Uh, before I follow you, Jesus, there's something else in my life that is first. Uh, I'm ready to follow you, but, but first, which makes Jesus, if this is first, what, what does that make Jesus? You're, you're second, Jesus. Um, and it seems that Jesus consents that going home was going to alter this guy's plans to follow Jesus. Uh, I don't know if someone was going to say, no, nah, you don't really want to go follow. Maybe family was going to talk him out of it. Maybe friends, well, you, you have such a good job. Why would you want to leave the, this good job and follow Jesus? Uh, Jesus knew something was, was going to go on. This likely was not just a quick kiss and a hug, um, but one commentator said likely a series of prolonged festive goodbye parties. That's oftentimes what it means. When you go home, this isn't a quick kiss. This could be days, this could be weeks, and Jesus is thinking, and it could be, that you're never going to follow me. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. You can look it up or just write it down. I'll, I'll tell you about it. Um, there was this guy uh, named Elijah, and he was coming to the end of his ministry, and Elijah uh, is praying, Lord, show me who's next, and the Lord shows him the next guy to take up my role to be God's spokesman was, who was, who was Elijah's replacement? Anybody know? Elisha, yeah. Well, Elisha is out in the field plowing his field with 12 yokes of oxen. It's pretty cool. And Elijah comes and puts his coat on him and says, you're supposed to follow me. You're God's man. Next. And, and you'd think, he said, okay, well, let me go get my brother and he can keep plowing the field. Uh, but that's not what happens. In, in 1 Kings 19, right there in the middle of the field, Elisha slaughters his yokes of oxen. He just kills them dead. And then he takes his plowing equipment, makes a fire, and he, and he roasts the oxen on his plowing equipment. And you say, well, that's, that's pretty radical there, Elisha. Uh, you know, you, you're eating your tractor, you're, you're eating your combine right there. Why are you doing that? Are you ready? To remove any temptation... I, I'm, not, I'm not coming back. I, I'm burning the boats. I'm burning the plow. I've killed the oxen. I'm all in, Lord. No turning back. I've burnt the ship. <laughs> I, I've burned the animals. I've burned uh, everything there is. I, I'm all in. Look at what Jesus says, verse 62. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No, you, no, no looking back. You're not going to go back. You're not going to keep this as uh, plan B. I want you looking forward. I want your full attention. I want you following me. I want total dedication is what Jesus is saying to this guy. No half-hearted commitment is acceptable. And this is the third point if you're taking notes. If you follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. <laughs> Burn the ship. 
kill the oxen, burn the plow. <laughs> I'm all in. I'm all in. On July 4, 1776, 56 men signed their name to the Declaration of Independence. Heard of that little document before? Uh, these men were men of means. They were wealthy landowners, many of them. Uh, many of them were educated statesmen. You'd know some of their names. They had financial security. Things were going pretty well in their life. But they wanted freedom. They wanted freedom. So 56 men gathered in Philadelphia and pledged. Here's what they wrote for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And as they signed their name to the Declaration of Independence, what they did was they declared war on England. <laughs> and that pledge would be very costly. Of the 56 signers, Five were captured and executed. Nine of them died in battle. Twelve of them lost their homes, looted and burned. Two of them lost sons in battle. And one of those signers lost two sons in battle. I'm just telling you, they paid a heavy price when they burned their boats. <laughs> when they put it all on the line for what they believed. And today... We're still benefiting from their bold, courageous choice. I'm glad those guys were gutty enough to say no turning back. And they put it all in line. They burned their boats when they declared war on England and they basically said no turning back. Now, all week long as I've been getting ready, I've been singing a song and... Uh, uh, it's uh, an old song. Susan, you probably remember it. Um, it's, it, well, you're, you're, you and I are similar age, so, yeah. <laughs> what can I say? We don't, we don't sing this song much. Uh, but it's, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and I remember singing a lot, you know. That was, that was the trendy youth group song there, Brent. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, I've been singing it, kind of summarizes... I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Um, and, and then uh, I decided to look up and say, well, I wonder, I wonder where did this song come from? Where did this song come from? And it's like, whoa. Um, this song, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, uh, were the last words of a man in northeast India. And... Uh, he was reached by a uh, missionary who came and shared about Jesus, and he and his family became followers of Jesus. Well, that wasn't very popular in Northeast India at the time, about 100 years ago. Uh, matter of fact, uh, the village chief called the guy in with his family, and he said, I demand you renounce your faith and you renounce following Jesus. And here's what the man said back to the chief. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And uh, that did not make the village chief very happy. Um, so he continues to threaten the man. And this is, 
intense, but he had a couple of his warriors uh, execute his two children right in front of him. Um, he says, now renounce your faith. And he said, though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Uh, he looked at his wife, the chief did, and says, uh, it's time to renounce. You're going to lose your wife. Um, and uh, they executed the wife, and he died while singing the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Um, here's the cool part. That episode had such an impression on the village chief that later the chief became a follower of Jesus. And he said, I can't believe what happened. And that made such an impression that he and most of the village became followers of Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. So, Rachel, would you put the words up? We're going to sing a little. Um, if you know it, sing it with me because this isn't uh, solo time. That's not the purpose, but uh, I, I would like uh, us to sing, okay? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Do you shut your eyes now? We're just going to sing quietly. And if you mean this, sing it to the Lord. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back Lord it's uh, pretty clear that when you call us to follow you that means a lot <laughs> Lord uh, I'm just uh, reminded today that it's a costly decision to follow you. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you might help us here today in your church at Walloon Lake to follow you with urgency. Lord, help us to follow you as our first priority. Help us to follow you with our energy and our passion. 
Lord, I'm asking that we might never turn back. Uh, If there are some ships in our life that need burning so we're not tempted to run back, whatever that might mean in our lives, Lord, help us to be willing to burn the ships. And as the ushers come forward right now, uh, Lord, we're grateful. You're such a generous God to us. You bless us with every good and perfect gift that comes from you. So now we have the opportunity to give back to you. Uh, Out of that generosity, help us to be generous back to you. So thank you for this uh, benevolent offering that we get to receive. And and I pray for those who uh, are in need will be recipients of this offering. May your blessing be upon them. May your blessing be upon those who give generously. It's in Jesus' awesome